welcome to Getting to the Crux of It. This is the show that discusses robotic industrial process automation and all things about it. So I am the host, Vicky Knott. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a tech startup uh, called Crux OCM that uh, serves the energy industry at this time, hopefully more later. Um, so I'm here with my co-host, Rebecca Greenan. Um, so she has a really cool background, a senior executive in the energy industry with extensive experience in risk management, trading, BD, finance, all things commercial. So really understands the value drivers uh, for the energy industry. Um, so she sits on the advisory board as well of several startups. Um, and heads up Crux's finance and operations team. So we're excited to kick off our podcast series uh, and super glad that you're joining us. Um, the last few years has been, um, you know, quite quite a journey or a mission, uh, we can say, to get, to get things going. So today we'd like to just offer some insights for those that are interested in robotic industrial process automation. So kind of what is it um, and, and what are we doing here? Um, then, you know, we want to talk about uh, innovation in the energy industry in general and, and what that's looking like from our perspective. Um, and then hopefully maybe get some insights for, for those folks who are, you know, maybe were in the position I was in a few years ago, seeing a really interesting problem in the industry, knowing how that they can, can provide value and then, you know, making that step to, to turn that into, uh, into a business. Great. Thanks, Vicki. Um, I'm really looking uh, forward to our discussion today and kind of diving into the evolution of uh, crux. And you and I have had some great conversations. And I think your story of crux is worth sharing. So let's dive right in. Um, and I kind of want to go back to the beginning of the evolution of crux. And you didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to start this company. You know, there was a lot more to it. And I was hoping if you could just kind of walk us through where did it start? How did it start? Where did the idea come from? And where are you today? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so, so the background I think is important, you know, chemical engineer, uh, loved, uh, process control, like just loved it. Um, but you know, most people in chemical engineering, that's like the course they hate the most. It's one I love the most. Um, so, so worked labor and pulp and paper and then went into an engineering role in pulp and paper, um, where I found having, you know, that hands-on experience of how assets work was super, super valuable. So when I transitioned into the oil and gas industry, I started working for a, a very large pipeline company, um, you know, and I was very adamant, right? Like, okay, if I, I need to learn how to operate these assets, otherwise I can't engineer successful solutions. So me being, you know, the tenacious person I am, I heckled the control room manager for about a year <laughs> to get, to get clearance to uh, train as a control room operator for um, the biggest batch pipeline uh, in the world, actually, uh, batch oil pipeline in the world. So, so while doing that, you know, I also worked with control room management, management of change, which is a FIMSA regulatory thing. Um, and really came to understand that the leading cause of safety and environmental incidents in the pipeline space is control room operator fatigue. Um, so fatigue is, is based on the workload of control room operators. So, you know, when I'm sitting there and I'm operating, it's like, okay, it takes, you know, three hours, three and a half hours to start up the system. It takes 1100 commands while you're executing this startup for this pipeline system. You are so completely engrossed that you start sweating. Um, <laughs> you cannot leave your chair. Um, and then if you zoom out to like an executive perspective, like that, that is a multi-billion dollar asset that underpins your entire business. And you have one person sitting there with a paper procedure and they're executing on behalf of the organization. Um, so, so not only was that just kind of glaring to me that there's, there's something not quite right here. There was also the dynamic between, um, executives engineering and the control room that was just kind of caught me off guard. It's like, you know, the attitude of a lot of executives has been in the past and I see it's getting better, you know, like that's what these guys are paid to do. And it's like, well, yes, they are, but they're 
they're, they're, they're your front line, right? Like they are the ones that literally are your, your profits and losses. And you're saying that, you know, they don't deserve the best tools and the best, the best, um, the best resources to succeed at their job. Right. So, so that was really, really interesting to me. Um, so then I met Roger Shirt. Um, so he, his background, he has a PhD in process control, electrical chemical engineering. Um, he's been consulting for one of uh, two of North America's biggest pipeline companies for 18 years before meeting me. Um, and, uh, and his algorithms are in thousands of sites across North America. So, so Rebecca, I know you wanted me to get into more like of the time when I was in the industry and trying to solve this problem. So yeah. So where would you like me to start? You know, that's yeah, the background, so- but where would you like me to start with respect to, you know, being an employee? Yeah. And so Vicki, I think one of the things that really resonated with me is you put a tweet out kind of a few, uh, probably a month, a month and a half ago about a spill that happened in California, an oil spill, and talking about how like crux could be one of the ones that could have prevented that spill to be as large as it was. And I, and even talking to you right from the beginning and this whole purpose and this whole value on that safety side and, you know, really trying to understand that it really are the human factors that do cause a lot of these spills and going in there from a purpose and then seeing at the end of the day, when you solve this big problem, there was this also this value add for the companies that was on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. So like, you know, that's where Roger and I started. Right. And we started like as employees and I was an employee, Roger was consultant, like in the industry, right. Like, you know, we, like recognizing, you know, the human factors incidents and how significant they are, you know, that was really what we wanted to, to work and provide control operators with better tools to do. Um, unfortunately in, uh, really large companies, you know, there's case study after case study that very large companies really struggle with innovation. So, um, so Roger and I tried very hard, uh, for almost two years, um, to, to get this going in house at, at a very large company. Um, we were not successful, you know, there's no budget, there's no time, you know, resources are needed elsewhere. Um, just the, the typical stuff. So, so we, we were just so passionate about like the industry just needs this so bad control room operators need this so bad. So we decided to try to, to, to make something of this ourselves. Um, at the time we had never heard of startups or venture capital. So it's been quite an interesting journey from that perspective. Right. And you guys had a fantastic opportunity to go to Norway with the tech stars program and, uh, really learn how to start a company. Yeah. Which, you know, even that story is really, really cool. And coming away with, you know, a customer coming away with, you know, how do you raise venture capital? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, Vicky, you touched on one thing too, um, the big companies and, mm-hmm. you know, we hear all this talk and you and I've had conversation after conversation in regards to innovation and mm-hmm. how do these big companies innovate? And, you know, we've talked about kind of the open innovation, but if you were able to give some of these senior executives some advice on how they could possibly speed up that innovation cycle or actually start to see results, what would mm-hmm. it be? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so the, I'd say the, I'd say the biggest one would be start treating vendors like partners and don't be afraid of small new vendors, right? Like your vendor isn't someone you need to squeeze and crush. Your vendor is, is, 
especially a small new vendor that's coming on the market that maybe has something that looks really promising that could really impact your business, treat them like a partner. You know, um, yeah, they'll cut you amazing deals. But like if you are, but if as a big company, you're expecting things for free, you're actually crushing innovation. Um, because you know, it's, if, if I'm working at a big oil and gas company in downtown Calgary or Houston, I'm getting paid. Right. And so a small company working as a vendor for a big oil and gas company also needs to get paid. Um, and, and so that's a very, very fundamental, but, um, interesting mindset that I've seen in some players, especially North of the border in Canada, where there's an expectation that startups, you know, it's, it's like, we're almost treated like, oh, you should be feel so privileged to even be talking to us. And so, you know, you 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 must do this work for free for us. And like we we frankly can't afford it. So yeah. And and so Vicky, just to go back to a few things that you said kind of earlier too, just in your early career. And you know, for two years you tried to get them to adopt this solution. And we're hearing downtown so many times that, you know, maybe they do want to do it in-house. But we're very much aware that culturally they're not set up to do it in house. They don't have, they're not putting the priority resources. on it. There's some priority yeah, or the resources. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some lip service that yeah. that happens. And a lack so, of understanding of what resources are required to build a scalable software product is a huge gap that I see. Right. And and when you guys have gone in and you've talked to the control room operators and you've got massive buy-in from the control room operators. Um, and there's value there and it's, it's, uh, but the process of approval, it gets stalled, the the further up that it goes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about kind of treating them as, um, you know, treating the startups more as a partner versus a vendor. Um, Mm -hmm. but even from a cultural perspective, is there something that you would recommend from them to actually kind of, sh- you're talking about moving the Queen Mary with some of these companies, I know. right? Yeah. Moving the Queen- well, I think like, um, from an executive perspective, treat like, and I, maybe that just comes to, 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 to like, it does, you know, it is tied directly to us because that's what we're talking about, but like yeah. understand that your control room, that is the crux of your business, right? Like that these people are operating your business. That is your business. You as an executive don't have a job without them. Right. (laughs) So, so treat them as customers and treat them as like, you know, as a partnership as well. Right. So, so that's kind of an interesting take, like specifically from the crux side of making sure that you're understanding what they actually need. Don't, and also understand that like, you know, even if they think this is a good idea, what is the amount of red tape that they have that they have to get through to provide that value to your business? So, you know, we talked a little bit about the ROI of, of control room automation and like it's, it's astounding, right? Every time that you do a control room operator's job better, faster, stronger, um, you're making more money. It's straight up revenue. So, so how can you think of it from how do we empower people to actually make those decisions versus that scarcity mindset of, okay, if they make the wrong decision, then they're going to get fired because we're in like a scarcity economy. Right. Right. Like, and that, that's like hugely complex and, and, and very difficult. And I think in Canada, we're really struggling with that. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. I think things are changing slowly. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're moving in the right direction. We just need some more, Mm -hmm. more push on that side for sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so Vicki, you know, you've had great success in finding um, market fit for your, for your product and great market pull, um, which I think is evidenced in how quickly you were able to raise venture capital funds. Like you guys have some, or we have some great support behind us. 
at the end of the day, kind of what is your main goal for Crux? Yeah. And autopilot software, right? Like you don't, you're not going to get in a commercial airliner without autopilot software. So, so I love when people have that discussion of like, oh no, but like, is this safe if a human isn't operating it? And I'm like, it's safer when a human is not operating it, right? Like you're not going to get in a plane without a pilot. You always need a pilot. Like your control room operators need to be empowered. They need to have time. They need to have emo- like they need to have cognitive bandwidth to do the job, right? You can't keep throwing more stuff at them. So, yeah, right. so that's that's really the the purpose is to is to empower control room operators to automate the energy industry. Right. So Vicky, that is that is great, you know, and it's um, being in the startup side of the business is like super super exciting right now, and it's moving fast, and it's um, it's it's yeah, it's a great. But Vicky, if you were able to kind of give someone advice that was that had identified a problem, like they were they were in it right now, whether they're in a big company or whether they're just solving it in their garage, mm-hmm. um, what would you what advice would you give them right now? Uh, so the energy industry is a challenge when it comes to, um, yeah, working with, with early stage companies. So be very aware of that. Be very aware that it's going to take time. Um, the big thing is definitely starting from that place of what is the problem that's being solved and what value does it provide to the industry? Like you'll hear the stuff harped over and over and over in like every like business or startup book, but like, but it really is that, right? Like we wouldn't be where we are today if Roger and I had just decided, oh, we want to start a business and this sounds like a good idea. Like that's not how it works, like at all. So, um, you know, and even with us, you know, knowing, knowing exactly what we're building, knowing the value props, knowing that it's very important for the industry, you know, it's still taken us years to, to, to get, you know, great committed customers and, and, and begin scaling. Um, so there's, you, you're not going to do this if you just think it's fun, right? Like you're only going to do this if you really believe in the mission. Otherwise, like just don't (laughs) enjoy, enjoy your cushy cubicle job. It's better there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think too, Vicki, like you really are disrupting an industry and trying to find those early adopters. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of early adopters. I think we've seen that curve before. And yeah, yeah. trying to find those. Crossing those. the ch- chasm curve. Yeah. And and like, and in, and I think the interesting and tricky thing about this industry is that executives will say that they're early adopters, but they don't actually understand what that means. Oh, yeah. And you can hear mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's really easy when you say how many startups or what startups are you working with? Mm-hmm. And they're not actually able to answer that question. Yeah. then you can tell right now whether they're an early adopter or not. Yeah, actually, yeah. And that's some good advice for folks uh, trying to yeah. suss that out. It's <laughs> like, yeah, ask them who else they're working with. And if the answer is zero, then try time to time to qualify them out of your sales pipeline. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so Vicky, this is great. This has been a really, you know, a, a good little introduction to um, Crux. I'm excited about the podcast kind of going forward. Yeah, um, we're gonna have some yeah. super fun guests. Like, yes, yeah, so I think um, the next episode too is our investors and why they're excited about what we're up to. So, um, yeah, that I think will be a really cool episode. So, thanks, Vicky. I'll let you. Um, I'll let you kind of close it up from here. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, if folks want to connect. I'm all over LinkedIn. So, um, find me Victoria Knott on LinkedIn. Um, check out our website, of course. So we are hiring quite a bit right now. Um, you know, we've got some, some new commercial or some new offerings like product offerings that we're really looking for commercial partners with. So love to, love to work with, um, a gas transmission 
company and, um, and, you know, uh, commercializing what we have for, for oil and refined products lines. We'd love to find a partner that wants to commercialize for, um, for those assets with us. So please do reach out. You can reach out directly to me on LinkedIn. Um, my email is Vicky at cruxocm.com. So Vicky, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to hearing from folks that are interested. So thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye.